Welcome to The Table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. I'm digging to Psalm 119 today. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to observe your righteous ordinances. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your ordinances. I hold my life in your hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your decrees are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart, and I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So over the last um, two months, I have, um, have devoted the majority of this sermon series to how not to read the Bible, basically, right? But before we wrap up this series, I think it's, it's really important that we talk about actually how to read scripture. Because if we do not want the result of this series to be driving you further away from scripture. <laughs> we want the result of this scripture to break down the walls that might have been up that prevented you from reading scripture before. How do we value That's the question today. That's the word for today, the wordle. How do we value this book, scripture? How how do we read it for all it's worth? And the things that I'm gonna share with you today are not revolutionary at all. Many people would say the same things. They're not original to Michelle, though maybe like it's eight, maybe the the compilation of them may, may be new to you. They're not just things that, um, that I just knew. They were things I've learned along the way as I have journeyed through reading scripture myself, ways to read scripture and make sense of it um, along the Christian journey. But before I give you, um, what I'm gonna give you today is eight suggestions on how to, to make the Bible a, an actual lamp to your feet and a light to your path. Before we do that, um, I think it's important to start or to re-emphasize that it is okay to wrestle with scripture. Somebody said the very first week when I asked, what things have you heard the Bible is? 
and or heard about the Bible and someone in the room said that it cannot be questioned. You remember somebody throwing that out? I think that's the first thing we have to re-emphasize. And I, and I realize that some of you come from traditions where the guilt is real and pervasive and it is really hard to believe that, that you can actually question the Bible, that you can actually wrestle with scripture, but that is the first place we have to begin. You, it is perfectly okay to wrestle with scripture. It's perfectly okay to wrestle with God, to ask questions of God. So you know that, right? We're good with that? Okay. I wholeheartedly encourage you to ask questions too. And so that's what the, I guess the last few months has been all about as we've kind of continued to answer these questions from our Ask Me Anything series, um, which actually will st extend a little bit into our August sermon series too, which I'll talk about in a little bit. Um, but as you continue to ask these questions, I, I hope that you know that you can ask questions. That's what I've been, I've been hoping from that. That's the greatest thing you can get from it. Um, and as you do ask questions, I want you to recognize that there might be an explanation that you just simply don't have yet. As you question the Bible, as you question God, as you question me, don't ask questions for the purpose of skeptical, being a skeptic or a critic. Ask them absolutely believing that there may be an answer to your question you just do not yet know. Not believing that these questions have been asked a million times and no preacher can ever answer them. There's really no answers to these. No, there is possible that there's an explanation that you simply just do not have, you haven't been provided yet. It's possible that there's an explanation that I haven't been provided yet. So with this in mind, I would like to offer you these eight suggestions for reading the Bible for all it's worth. Or in other words, reading the Bible to hear God speak through it. So first, well, actually, there's, there's all eight. But we're going to go, but we're going we're gonna to come back to that list. But first, the first one, um, you can just keep value up there. I'll come back to them. First one, when reading the Bible's narrative stories, I find it, it helps to step into the story. And so here's what that looks like. I try to imagine what the individuals in this passage could be feeling or thinking or doing. I ask, which of the characters could I be? In what ways is their story similar to my story? And through this, the story becomes a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Multiple years ago now, I um, preached a sermon series. I do not remember what it was. It's hilarious when you all start telling me about sermons that I have on my podcast. I do not remember them. I promise you, I do not. I just don't. I don't remember them. Remember that one sermon you said? I do not remember when I said that. I don't. I don't even remember what I called this sermon series, but I do remember I preached a series on wilderness, I think. Something about a wilderness. Um, and uh, I don't, yeah. The wilderness, as you know, is in the Holy Land is a desert. It is both a real place, and it's also, though it could be a metaphor for those times in life that are difficult. And I know that that's how we used it in the series that we did. And so each week of that series, we focused on a different Old Testament character who had been both in the literal wilderness, the desert, but also was in some sort of emotional 
or spiritual wilderness. Within that series, we studied Elijah the prophet. And in um, 1 Kings 19, we read about Queen Jezebel who planned to kill Elijah. And Elijah was afraid and felt alone. And, and he fled to the wilderness when he was afraid and felt alone. And one verse even says, Elijah went on a day's journey into the wilderness and came back down under a solitary broom tree. And he asked that he might die there under that broom tree. It is enough, O Lord, now take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors, Elijah said. And in that moment, the story becomes incredibly real for us, right? It's so real that we can see ourselves in that story under that broom tree. I remember asking you all to remember a moment that, that in your own lives, a moment when you felt like praying, it is enough, oh Lord, take away my life. One of you even confided in me that at one point in your life, you used to pray every night that you, that you would just die while you were asleep. And so first, when we realize these, when we read these narrative stories, we can connect the dots between the experience of the biblical character and our own life experience. In the case of Elijah, God came to him, speaking to him in the sound of sheer silence or the still small voice or as another version, a gentle whisper. And I remember we talked about how God speaks to each of us in that, in that silence. Yet how, how little of it we actually ever get, how toxically overstimulated we are. And we spoke of becoming quiet enough to listen for God in the silence. And Elijah's story somehow in that became our story. And so first, putting ourselves in the story. Number two, second suggestion, discover, discover the situation in which the scripture was written. This is pretty um, simple, but if you do not have a good study Bible, and you would like one, come to me, I have a list of them. I would love to tell you which, I would love to give you a list of study Bibles. Um, and in the introduction to a normal study Bible, um, it will give you the scholar's best thinking about the situation of the author or the people to whom this author is writing. This though can be like so helpful in reading the Bible, so helpful. We learned this earlier this series when we talked about Paul and the Galatians and it's also super important for reading Philippians. We would not know it if we didn't have this scholarly research that is, that is also added to the, the, the compilation of scripture, knowing that Paul wrote those letters while in prison, waiting the news on whether he would be executed changes the way we read those, but we would not know Paul does not tell us he was in prison. Knowing this makes the letter all the more astounding to know this. Philippians is called the epistle of joy. Changes the entire way we read Philippians, this epistle of joy, knowing the fact that he writes these words while he sits in a prison awaiting execution. It adds this power to this call to rejoice and, and to have joy in the midst of whatever, right? And so that's the second thing, just that we would discover the situation in which, in which the, the text is, um, is written, and that you would do that work yourself, not just wait for me to, to, to expound upon that in a sermon on a Sunday morning, right? Number three, three crucial, ask these three crucial questions. This is number three, three crucial questions. When you read, read a scripture, as I read narrative stories, um, but also as I read just really any genre or form of literature in the Bible, 
I often ask three main questions. What does this passage teach me about humanity? What does this passage teach me about myself? What does this passage teach me about God? And as I ask these questions, I often take notes for myself as I read this this scripture and reflecting upon the answers to these questions, the scriptures, and, and God through them, God speaks to me through that by the answer to these questions. And so I figure we would try that today as a congregation. You wanna try that together? So um, the first scripture, let's put Luke um, 17, 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, 10 men with a skin disease approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus asked, were not ten made clean, so where are the other nine? Did none of them return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And then he said to them, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. So audience participation, I don't do this very often. Audience participation, let's take a second. What does this passage tell us about humanity? What does this passage tell us about humanity? Ungrateful. Ungrateful. Humanity is often ungrateful. Yeah. Let's go back to that scripture. Put it back up. What does this passage tell us about humanity? Self-centered. Self-centered. Yeah. Take things for granted. Yeah, you take things for granted. Quick to ask for things, but slow to say thank you. Quick to ask for things, but slow to say thank you. What a um, portrait of humanity. Let's not get to the me part yet. Let's skip over that and go, what does this passage tell us about God, though? What does this passage tell us about God? He knows humanity's failings, but he still loves all humanity. Hmm. Even though we're ungrateful (laughs) and selfish, he knows our failings, but... He still loves us. Anything else we learn about God here? Forgiving. Forgiving. Yeah. Unbelievably forgiving. Willing to heal. Willing to heal. What glorious things to learn about God. And then I'm going to give the moment of silence as you all go into your own hearts and ask that question, what does this passage say about you? Hmm. What does this passage say about you? Going back to the very first thing I said was putting yourself in the story, right? I wonder where you put yourself in the story as you figured out what the passage said about you. Are you the one that came back? Are you one of the nine? 
Are you the Samaritan? Do you feel um, overtaken with? Are you in need of healing? Maybe that's the place to go in it. Are you in need of healing? Have you experienced healing before? Okay, so that was number um, that was number three. Those three questions. I hope you remember those questions forever. I don't expect you remember all eight of these, but those questions I think you should remember. Number four, um, and we're going to try another thing today. Number four, when you read scripture, pray it. It's super simple. Just pray it. So when I read scripture in the morning as a way to to devote my life to God at the beginning of the day, I usually read the passage I, I wish to focus on using the practices so far discussed. I read it like normal. And then I read it a second time. And I read it a second time, sometimes aloud, changing the words slightly to invite God into it to speak to me through that passage and as a way to speak to God using that passage. So we're going to try this today together as well. So let's look at the second scripture. So Romans 12. This is just reading the passage. I come to Romans 12. Romans, gosh, just a theological mess of a book. So hard to understand. Why would anybody ever read Romans? And I read it. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, on the basis of God's mercy, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then now let's do number four, which is read this again and make it a prayer. So would you close your eyes? Extend your hands like this in an act of receiving and an act of worship and make this a prayer that actually means something to you. I, I appeal to you, God, on the basis of the mercy I know you've already shown to me. And I present myself before you as a sacrifice, hoping to be holy and acceptable to you, God, though I often fail, which is just a reasonable act of worship. It's the act of worship I should give. It's the act of worship any one of us should give. God, I long to not be conformed to this age. How fleeting it is. How dark it is. How obsessed with ourselves it is, as we read before. But God, I want to be transformed by you. I want my mind to be renewed by you. So that I may be able to discern what your will is for my life. What it would look like to be before you, God, to be good and to be acceptable and to be perfect. Not because I can be, because you are, Jesus. Knowing that it's your goodness and your perfection that stands in the gap when I'm not. You see what a passage like that actually can become when we do that? How Romans becomes not just this crazy theological book and these words about being good and acceptable and perfect, we don't get caught on them as in like a how in the world 
Could God ever expect me to be perfect? And then our minds get caught on that phrase and we completely forget that they could be a prayer to speak to the fact that there's no possible way that we could ever be perfect, right? So this is number four. Number five. Number five is the thing that I um, would say you all will, you normally would criticize and it's because it's been used wrong perhaps in your life before. I actually do believe that it is good and right and joyful thing always and everywhere to memorize scripture. It is okay to do that. Problem is, lots of times people will memorize one phrase and then they, and often those are not the phrases that you want to memorize and so they'll bring them back to hurt other people, right? That one phrase that they happen to know from the Bible happens to be from Leviticus, right? Like, that's ridiculous. Why would that be the case? Um, or people have memorized verses and then they go and they put them on their forehead at a football game um, or, but without any context or they, um, memorize, they have one key verse and it got, but it doesn't actually give the whole holistic picture of what that so but that's not what I'm talking about there is something really beautiful about memorizing scripture having scripture on your tongue so that it can come up because guess what y'all always ask me I don't know how to pray. How do, how do you pray? <laughs> um, and you say that, I've heard you say, oh, you pray so eloquently. It's just having been steeped in the words of God over time, knowing, knowing and my words are not perfect, perfect scripture. They're just a mix of scripture that has settled into my soul over time that comes up before God in prayer. Um, so, I would like to ask you all a question. How would you, what do you think about from now on at Kingstown, every sermon series, I give you all a key passage, just one verse, that guides the series, the whole series, and it's something I ask you to commit to your hearts and minds for memory. I'm not going to quiz you on it. I'm not going to have a string of people come up and recite it. Um, not going to do anything. That, but what would that be like? What would, how, does that feel good to you? Could that be a good thing? That you can nestle that down deep in your soul. And so here's the one for this series that I have not announced up until now. This is today's. But here's the one for this series. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Can you nestle that? That is um, 119, Psalm 119, 105. Some of you might, you might know that language because guess what? It is the, one of the best things that I could take with me from being growing up in the Pentecostal church was an attention to memorizing scripture. And so this scripture may already be a scripture that you have nestled down deep in your soul. Pick another one. That's fine. But for the majority of us, we have not ever been enc have encountered that. And what would it look like? How might that enhance your prayer life to be able to bring up that now? God... Pray, just add that to your prayer in the week. God, would you be a lamp unto my path and a light unto my feet? I just messed that up, but whatever. Yeah, see? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Um, good example. Check. Um, the next thing. Next thing, number six. And I know you don't remember what numbers five, one through five were now. That's okay. Number six, study scripture with others. That's the other, I mean, that's, 
it, that the scripture makes no sense if read only by yourself and you never talk to anyone else about it. The best part about studying scripture with others is um, also having people in the room who saw a passage completely differently. And so here's another thing I would like to put out to Kingstown. Having gone through this Wordle series, having gotten to this place right now, and I promise you I'm going to go real fast with seven and eight so we can get out of here because um, I'm see the clock. Um, but uh, reading scripture together is wonderful. I would like to put out the Kingstown. What would it look like? Would you all be amenable to this? If I um, got us a subscription, a, a holistic um, community subscription to a Bible reading app that we all download on our phones and we have um, periodic ways to say how, like comment um, what we are, how we're feeling, how we are engaging with that passage quickly at this moment. Um, and it would probably be more in a virtual, um, a virtual format, mainly because people don't got time. I promise you, if I hosted Bible study, y'all don't show up, I'm sorry. Or you show up one, we show up week one and you have really good intentions. And except for Anton, Anton's very offended. Matt is really offended. <laughs> um, but besides, no, but like it's, it's a reality. Like you show up for the first one and then it's hard and then you feel like you're behind. Oh gosh, I'm so behind, I can't go back now. So discipleship in the age of the post-COVID world looks different. What does it look like if we all were to commit on our own time to read the Bible but have a way that we can connect together to talk about it and see what we're thinking, what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling? Could we do that together, maybe? Okay, cool. The other thing, we have an idea of um, Bible studies are great for six weeks, seven weeks, um, then y'all don't show up after the first week. Um, so what if... We had a monthly two-hour crash course. Um, so instead of, um, I see some clapping hands. So instead of a Bible study that is um, on, for instance, one of the ones that everybody loved, which we haven't done yet this year, we did a faithful and inclusive Bible study, really taking it seriously. If we say we are a church that is inclusive, um, how do we read that in the Bible? Where is that? What do we make sense of all those passages that everybody else points to and goes like, that's not right. That's what the Bible says. So, but what if instead of a four-week series where you come to the first one and you drop out for the other three, what if I did a two-hour crash course on queer theology? That kind of thing. Would that be helpful to you all? What if I did a two-hour crash course on, um, on uh, the Bible? And I mean, I, there's other things we could do. We could even do a two-hour crash course on a book of the Bible. But then I send you forward with many resources to go learning it on your own. Does that sound okay? Love it. Okay, awesome. Hey, yeah, I like a good clap. All right, number seven. I was in the hospital a few years ago to see a woman who had um, a severe infection which required that her leg be amputated to actually save her life. Um, and as we spoke, she told me, she told me about how she, was, she read scripture in a way that transformed my understanding of scripture. Number seven is bring the, the scripture to your life equation. So you know those scriptures like the ones that we read today um, um, in, uh, in Psalm 119 where it always talks about God, like, you know, kill my enemies, break down my enemies, get rid of my enemies, all those enemy scriptures. I've always, my whole life, wrestled with those. So I'm reading a psalm, and it's like, God, you're a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Go and kill my enemies. And then it just totally, like, I don't know what that means anymore. How do I make sense of that? 
Uh, and that seems to be completely contradictory to everything I know Jesus said where I was supposed to love my enemies, right? That's the one scripture I did memorize. And so, um, so what do we do with that? Well, this woman, I loved it. She, she was sitting in, in, in this room. She's about to have her leg amputated. And, um, and she appreciated the complaints of these psalms of, of lament. And one of the things, um, and this, the part that troubled me, she explained to me, she said, Michelle, when I pray, God, you know, eradicate my enemies, I, I imagine what is my enemy right now? What is my enemy right now? My enemy is, is this illness that is taking over my life, that is taking my leg from me, this I don't understand it. I'm kind of mad at God that I'm here, and so I get to complain to God. But what does it look like to pray, God, God, like, search out and kill the enemy in my life that is preventing me from being close to you right now? What does that look like? What a way to transform a passage into a prayer. And then, finally, number eight, imagine what might have been. Um, When reading narrative stories in the Bible, it is sometimes helpful to ask what would have happened if this happened differently? There's a place actually in Jerusalem known as Potter's Field, and it's this place where tradition has it that Judas hung himself um, after betraying Christ. And there are, there are the remains of this old um, Crusades-era church on this site there. Um, and if you read Matthew 27, you begin to wonder what would have happened if Judas had just waited just three more days maybe, what, what if he had just waited three more days before deciding to take his life? Well, I mean, what would have happened? I mean, what a beautiful saint and wonderful person to share a message with people. Like, can you imagine the sermon that Judas, Judas could have told? Judas could have preached a message of redemption and grace and hope around the world if he had, he had just waited three days. Just three days. And I think about this text in that tree in Potter's Field every time I'm with someone who who was suicidal. This idea captured by seeing in this text what could have been. And it's touched me, and because, I was able to, because I'm able to, to ask the question of what could have been, it's a story that continues to touch the lives of so many people as I talk with them in their deepest moment of despair. Thanks for sticking with me through this world series. If I can say anything, we asked in the beginning, what is the Bible not? It was not a bunch of things. What is it? It is Israel's story. It is God's story. And it is your story. It's your story. That's what it is. The Bible's your story. And your story comes with a whole bunch of mess. Isn't it just normal that the Bible would too? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this book and for um, the fact that you shine through it anyways. I pray for each person here today who needs a, um, God needs your lamp to light up their feet right now. Needs your light to guide their path right now. We offer the prayers of our hearts and the gift of this book, and all that we go ahead to do together in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, 
and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.